Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. All right. Welcome to the Reboot Camp 2020 Day What? How has it been? Have you been blessed? Well, are you ready for today? Turn the Bibles, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Galatians chapter 5, from verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Can you say evident? Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, can you say the fruit of the Spirit? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that as we go into your word our lives will be a testimony to your work, your redemptive work. And our, our walk and our talk will be aligned. We will walk like people for whom Christ died. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now you know, as a good Bible student, that the Bible used figures of speech very often. The Bible used figures of speech. And you see figures of speech right here. When he says the fruit of the Spirit, he, does, he doesn't mean it literally. And I know you've seen a lot of paintings that, that have a literal tree with several mangoes. And on one mango, they wrote love, joy. You know, and that's nice pictorial representation. But you ought to know, he's not talking about a literal tree. Neither is he talking about the literal fruit. And that's why he started first and foremost by telling you the works of the flesh are evident. He called it works of the flesh. And he says it's evident. And then he says the fruits of the spirit. He could have said the works of the spirit. But he doesn't want you to have the impression that he's talking about something you work to achieve. He's talking about the product. Hence, the metaphor fruits. So the fruit, what are fruits of the spirit? They are evidence of the spirit's influence. That's what fruits of the Spirit are. Evidence of the Spirit's influence. And he's telling you that the power of God is so efficacious. The indwelling Spirit is so efficacious. If he is in you, it will tell. Just the same way you can tell when someone is drunk. How much more the influence of the Spirit in a man. You can tell. And so he says... The work of the flesh is evident. Also, the fruit of the Spirit is evident, which are these. 
Love, joy, peace, and all the other things he mentioned. This is so important. Say the fruit of the Spirit is evident. So listen, it is true as we established the first day of this camp meeting that you are saved by grace through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And that works is not what saves us. And that's not what is going to get us to heaven. However, the evidence of the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God influences our conduct. You have to understand this. In the body of Christ, many denominations are guilty of selective emphasis. Selective emphasis. And some are just centered, you know, on what they call a holy life, which is a very important doctrine. But in doing so, they go about it minimizing the work of Christ. And many people also are potentially guilty of just talking about grace and mercy and forgiveness without letting the believer, without putting a mirror before the believer to say, this is who you are. Walk in a manner that is consistent with who you are. Hallelujah. And sound doctrine is always balanced doctrine. And so he tells you this, the fruit of the Spirit is. So when you're trying to think of how works play in this, let me give you a very simple example. By the way people speak, many times you can tell where they grew up. There is an American accent. There is a British accent. There is a Nigerian accent, even though there are many. All right? And now, you can find someone in Nigeria, and from the way he speaks, you can tell, oh, you must have grown up in America. That accent is evidence that he has been influenced by a particular culture. Do you get what I just said? That that accent is not visa. He can't go to the airport and start speaking English, and he just say, ah, it's not U.S., it's your house. He's going to have to present something. He's going to have to present a passport. So I'm saying, are you with me? Your works is not what gets you saved. But your works are an inevitable proof that you are saved. Salvation is your visa. It's your passport. Sanctification is your accent. If the Holy Spirit has worked in you, it will show in your conduct. You will walk in love. You will be joyful. You will be peaceful. Is that balance understood? So, you don't find someone, okay, for instance, 
whether we like it or not, our culture filters into our communication. I think it was yesterday or the day before, I was talking about speaking up for the gospel, and I gave an example of people speaking up for this nation, and I said, if you can, Soros, okay, for Nigeria. Now, some of our audience, our international audience, might have been lost at that point, because it's not impossible, they don't know what we're talking about. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you're talking to people from a place, there are things they ought to know. We have slangs. There, there, there are places you ought to know, some popular places in a particular city. So, the same way, there are expectations we have from people who claim to be from where we are. Expectations. Have you seen people, the moment they ask you where you're from, and you tell them where they are from, where you're from, and they discover you're from the same place, you just start speaking your language, which is very rude because you embarrass some of us <laughs> who speak English and tongues <laughs> while, while walking on it. But there is that expectation. Oh, you're from my place, and then you, you, sp- you ought to speak my language. The same thing applies to the things of the Spirit. If you are born of the same Spirit, born from the same place as I am, you ought to speak my language. There is a conduct expectation. This is so important. This is so important. Someone gave an illustration. He said, if you were a boss at work and one of your staff was late, you kept waiting for him and then eventually he shows up and you say, why are you late? And he says, oh, I'm sorry. A trailer ran over me. Ah. You say, a what? Do you mean like a motorbike climbed your leg? You say, no, a trailer ran over. Ah, you are still here. Because can I tell you something? The magnitude of the impact ought to show on you. So when you say that the spirit of God, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the spirit that hovered over the face of the deep at the beginning, and ushered the creation of the earth dwells in you. Ah, there should be some changes. You can't talk like the world. You can't act like the world. There must be some change. This is important. Say loud amen if you believe that. And so in the body of Christ, we must feel free to hold each other accountable to these standards. Let me do a brief commentary for you, a big brief commentary from the book of Philemon. Um, before I do that, let me read it to you, read some few verses, then I'll take a break and explain. Open your Bibles, Philemon. We'll read chapter 1 from verse 4 to 6. Philemon, verse 4 to 6. Are you there? He says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which thou had towards the Lord Jesus and towards all saints, 
Verse 6. Everybody read verse 6 together. One, two, go. It says that the communication, Greek word koinonia, of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, many people use this text often, but their interpretation is always, in my opinion, very different from the obvious context. I look through many translations because I've checked all the Greek words and I know what this text says. So I was looking for the best translation and surprisingly, I have to say, the translation that got it right was message. <laughs> don't mind me. We old time believers, we don't really like message. Just, anyway. But let, let's see the message translation. It says, and I keep praying that this faith we hold in common, that's what communication is. The Greek word communication means, is, I told you it's koinonia, translated in several other instances as fellowship. And he's explaining what fellowship is. It says, this faith that we have in common, I pray that it keeps showing up in good things we do. That's what it means for it to be effectual. It should show up in your life. Influence your conduct. Influence your actions. That it keeps showing up in good things we do that people may recognize Christ in all of it. Praise the Lord. It says, so that people may recognize Christ in all of it. So what's he saying? He's saying, well, I hear you believe in the Lord Jesus and I see it evident in your love for the saints. I'm praying even more for you. That if you see the faith that I have, other believers have, in the Lord Jesus is the same faith you have. We ought to see some proof. We ought to see some proof. Some more proof. It ought to be effectual. So that we all can acknowledge that good thing which is in you in Christ. Do you understand this? So, picture the gospel as a big bowl of food. Fifteen people are eating it. And when they are done, you ask 14 of them, how was it? All of them go, it's delicious, very delicious. <laughs> and then one of them says, oh, it was too salty. Ah. And you're like, is it the same food we ate? Is it the same food? He says, not only that, it was too spicy, too much pepper. <laughs> is it the same food? The logic is, if we eat the same food, we, it ought to have the same effects. And so he's saying, our communication, listen, our salvation is common. You have the Holy Ghost, I have the Holy Ghost. Are you getting this now? So let, let there be proof that we share the same experience by having the same spirit. This is so crucial. Are you with me? 
And there's a reason he told Philemon that. He was about to tell him something. And I'm teaching you a technique from the Word of God. If you want to get a believer to act the way he ought to act, this is something you can do. Remind him. Is it not the same Holy Ghost you said, I have, that you have? Is it not the same Holy Ghost that the Bible talks about? Then there is a way you ought to act. Whenever they are, they are choosing to be unforgiving or to act in a particular manner, remind them, use these texts. Because now, Philemon had this guy working for him, an apprentice. And the apprentice ran away and stole his money. This is a historical fact. Ran away and stole his money, and somehow, Paul found that apprentice, got him converted, trained him in the gospel, and they became close. But then, Paul was arrested. And he needs someone to look after his apprentice. So, who is going to look after my apprentice? No other person but Philemon. And so, he's sending Philemon back. Onesimus back to Philemon. And he reminds him, like child of God, you cannot be beefing. Let the communication of your faith be effectual. So that let us all see it. So you, you ought to be forgiven. So if maybe in case um, there's someone in this church you are beefing, this word is for you. <laughs> Let's read on. See the context. See from verse 8. He says, in line with all this, I have a favor to ask. <laughs> Meaning I said all of that to say this. I have a favor to ask. As Christ's ambassador and now a prisoner of him, I wouldn't hesitate to command as if I thought it necessary but I would rather just make a personal request. While here in jail, I fathered a child, so to speak. Here he is, hand carrying this letter, Onesimus. He was useless to you before. Now he is useful to both of us. Verse 17. This is very important. It says, if you consider me a comrade in arms, that's what communion is. That's why he talked about communion earlier. He said, if indeed we have fellowship, we have communion in this gospel, welcoming back as you would me. Welcoming back. So this just tells you that in the gospel, we have the right to make a demand on people based on the expectations we have because of the efficacy of the spirit of God that dwells in them. We can remind them, come, you, eh? you say you're not going to forgive, or you are angry. Nobody can talk to you. Have you forgotten? Memorize this text. You will need to recite it to someone very soon. <laughs> Use it to disturb them. That the communication of your faith may be effectual. It is true that you are saved by grace through faith and salvation is personal. When you believed the message of the gospel, nobody was there. But we don't have to be there. The fruit will show. Jesus said you can't light a candle and put under a bushel. A city, set on, a city cannot be hidden. Hallelujah. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Those were metaphors to describe you. You are the light of the world. 
It should show. If you've got the Holy Ghost, it should show. This is so important and so crucial. Hallelujah. And so, if you study the way the Gospels were structured, I'm sorry, the Epistles were structured, Paul the first used the first few chapters to tell you who you are in Christ, and then the final chapters to make demands. And that's how Christian teaching should be done. After we tell you who you are in Christ, like I did on Monday, we begin to tell you the responsibility that it bestows on you. And we start telling you, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let him that stole steal no more. Let me show you this. Let me show you this text. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. After he has told them, you know, the eyes of their understanding should be flooded with light in Ephesians 1. Told them that they are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Told them that unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that he can ask or think in Ephesians 3. In chapter 4, he begins to make demands. 4 verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more. You're a child of God. Stop stealing. Stop taking money from your office. Stop taking things that don't belong to you. Don't do that and confess you are the righteousness of God in Christ. If you are the righteousness of God in Christ, you will act like it. Let him that stole still not. Don't say, I cannot handle it. You have the Holy Ghost. He's telling you this because you can do something about it. You have the Holy Ghost. You can do something about it. Let him that stole steal no more. He says, rather let him labor, working with his hands, that which is good. That you also may have to give. Your mates are giving people. Don't steal. You walk and give. Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9. Are you there? Read it together. One, two, go. He says, stop lying. Stop. It's not fashionable. Some people are so used to it, they don't, see it. They don't think it's a big deal. So just, but the word of God is renewing your mind. There's no white lie. Lie is a lie. Lie not one to another. Hallelujah. Stop telling lies. And he tells you why you should stop telling lies. He says, because you have put off the old man. You're not who you used to be. You're a new man in Christ, a new creature. Stop lying. So if any of these two I mentioned, and more examples I'll give you as I go on, applies to you, you just say from today, I, I, I won't do that anymore. I'll stop stealing. Stop stealing. Hallelujah. The title of my sermon, Our Spiritual Identity, Moral Excellence. So this is part four, right? Our spiritual identity, the first one was what? Saved by grace. The second one was what? Charismatic church. The third one was what? 
the Orthodox Church, and then the fourth one, which we're treated today, is what? Moral excellence. So now we go to the text we've been using since we started. Jude, Jude verse 3. Jude verse 3. Jude verse 3. Like I told you when this camp meeting was starting, I said expect the instructions. Thank God for the flow of power. But you can't grow on that. You leave meetings like this with the instructions on how to walk in Christ. On how to walk in Christ. I know Saturday morning when I'm laying hands on everybody, maybe that's the day we'll have the most people. And it ought not to be so. Can I tell you something? I don't know why I'm talking about this. Especially when it comes for, to impartation, instructions are important. Laying on of hands will amplify instructions. You don't just lay hands on empty heads, no revelation there. It doesn't work that way. Many times, it's the word of God that will be stirred when hands are laid on you. So this is important. What you're learning is important. Hallelujah. Jude verse 3. It says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4. For certain men crept in unnoticed, who long ago were, were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They turned the grace of God into lewdness. What's he talking about? Into gross immorality. Unrestrained vices. They just went on in sin. Using grace as an excuse. And so the same way we said contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, emphasizing that salvation is by grace. We are also emphasizing contending for the faith that was once delivered for, to the saints, emphasizing the fruits of the Spirit. It's, a, it's an important emphasis also. In fact, it's the immediate context of this verse. Come on, are you with me? So this is crucial. And so the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, which we quoted, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let's say the man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Hallelujah. We were not saved by works but we were saved to walk. We are his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. So the fact that the works are not a requirement does not mean it's not important. It's important. We are, say, I'm his workmanship, created in Christ to do good works. Hallelujah. Let me give you an example. Imagine uh-huh. Might be a good place to say amen. You land your dream job. You know? <laughs> and you've been trusting for it. 
In fact, baby, you don't even have the qualification. And then by grace, someone just sees you and says, I, I like you. You have potential. You're not, you're not quite there yet, but you know what? On my account, by my name, I'm going to bring you in. And then jettisons all the protocol. Gives you the job. Maybe he's the CEO of the company. Gives you the job. Now you got that job by grace, not by works. Imagine resuming at the office and say, I'm not working. <laughs> you resume at the office, you say, I'm not working because I got this job by grace. You, so you, you didn't get the job by grace. You didn't get, get the jobs by work, but you got the job to work. You have to understand the difference. It's not a perfect example, but you get the idea. This is important. Hallelujah. In medicine, there's something called vital signs. When you go to see a doctor, no matter what your complaint is, or no matter what you think it is, the first thing they will do is check your temperature, check your blood pressure, check all those things, your heart beats and, and all of that. Because all of those things inform their diagnosis. All of those things are saying something about you and the state of your body. The same way, you can't see someone acting in perpetual carnality and the person keeps claim, claiming to be a Christian. It's against all the word of God teaches. It's against it. Hallelujah. So today, we want to talk biblically and doctrinally about what God has done about sin. Hallelujah. Did you hear that? What God has done about sin. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15, Paul says, Wherefore I also, since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, love unto all the saints, have not ceased to give thanks to God for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is his exceeding greatness of his power to us world who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrote in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So he's saying, ah, you need to know by revelation what is yours. You have a rich inheritance, but it wouldn't matter if you don't know. It wouldn't matter what you have if you don't know what you have. He says, so he's praying, the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's telling you, you are rich in Christ, you, 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 but you, you need to see it. And so just imagine a Christian battling as it, you know, pertaining sanctification, it's a revelation problem. It's a revelation. You should pray that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light. It's a revelation problem. Battling sanctification, something that God has done. And so, doctrinally, you need to see what God has done about it because He has done a lot. And what he did is good. He did a good job. 
And so in Ephesians chapter 2, from verse 1, I don't want to keep quoting offhand. I want you to follow. So open the Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2, from, from verse 1. Hallelujah. Pay attention. It says, and you, he made alive. KJV says, quickened. Hallelujah. I, I wish I had enough time to talk about this. This is the doctrine of Christian identification, the true doctrine of baptism. The true baptism, not the one that water represents. Water is just a representation of this true baptism. Because you see, from the eyes of the observers, it was Christ who died. It was Christ who was buried. It was Christ who was raised back to life. But now he says, you has he made alive. And you're like, what? Because in the eyes of the spirit, or through the eyes of the spirit, God saw you on that cross with Christ. You were crucified with him. You were buried with him. You were made alive with him. So he's, he's telling you what is yours by faith, by Christian identification. You have been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I was dead in trespasses and sins. You see, uh, um, um, these tendencies and propensities, they were irresistible. I kept finding myself doing some things I didn't want to do. I was dead, hopeless in trespasses and sins. And this is why I'm telling you, I was telling you on Monday, that um, salvation is not a U-turn. It's not just a desire. It's not just a decision to do better. Salvation is not moral improvement. It's the dead coming back to life. It's the work of the Spirit. It says, you have, he made a life who were dead in trespasses and sins. And then he's describing your past life. He says, in which you once walked. Ha, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I, I, I like KJV. Let me move back to KJV. He says, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, there was something about the world system that was influencing you. You walked like them. You talked like them. He says, the spirit that now walks in children of disobedience. There was a spirit influencing you. He's talking about your past life. Listen, this is Christian identification. You have to know what has passed. You have to know. Listen, it's a review mirror principle. Know what is in your past. It says in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of power of the earth, the spirit that now walks in children of disobedience. It says, amongst whom we had our conversation, our fellowship. You see, our fellowship has changed. We had our conversation in time past and the loss of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. We fulfilled the desires of the flesh, always led by the flesh, led by our appetites for sex, for food, for sleep, just leading us as though instead of having an appetite, we were an appetite. Do you know what I'm saying? As though instead of having a stomach, we were a stomach. Always going, the desire, going with the desires of your flesh. What has God done about it? He says, but now, but God, but God, but God. Listen, you think you're struggling with habits? This is the doctrinal structure for your deliverance. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has what? quickened us together with Christ. He says, by grace are you saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. So he's telling you, this is revelation. 
Seeing connection. Let me tell you something. Pay attention. This is Christian identification from an observation standpoint. You see a man named Jesus. You hear about him. Maybe you were alive in that time. And then he begins to walk miracles. He walks a lot of miracles. And you're like, ah, he's a nice man. He must be a prophet. And then you hear he's arrested. Your friend comes to Jesus to you. Hey, hey, hey. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Insta blog said, Jesus has been arrested. You say, it's a lie. What did he do? What did he do? He said, they even released Barabbas instead of him. Wow. You're following the story. All of a sudden, you follow all that happened with Pilate. Now they release him to be beaten. And then they crucify him. This was a big story in town. The guys on the road to Emmaus, they talked about it. And when a stranger who happened to be Jesus himself was asking what is happening, he said, are you new in this city? The news is round. Everybody was sad about it. Oh, he was a good man. He was killed. And then someone announces, I went to the grave. I didn't see him. He's risen. An angel told me he's risen. I eventually saw him. He appeared to the disciples. He's risen. Oh, Jesus was a good man. Bad people killed him, but God raised him back to life. Good story. But it is revelation to see how that story affected you. That by faith, you were killed, crucified with him, buried with him, raised together with him. That's revelation. So it is one thing to say, ah, God has done great in Jesus by raising him from the dead. But it takes revelation to say, God has done great in my life by raising Jesus from the dead because I was raised together with him. It says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved, not Jesus, not just Jesus, but us. When we were dead in trespasses and sins, he had quickened us together with Christ. So, no wonder Jesus said, are you with me? He says, upon this revelation, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of the grave, shall not prevail against it. And now you're wondering, oh, but it's just Jesus who is going to die. Why is he saying the gates of the grave will not prevail against the church? Because though he died as one person, he rose with all of us. Did you hear what I just said? So, you have to see, he was giving us an idea of identification. He, listen, he used the metaphor of planting a seed to describe his death. He says, except a seed falls to the ground and dies, it abides alone. He said, but if it dies, it will bring forth much fruits. So he's saying his death was going to make something possible for many of us. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to me. He was going to take all our judgments, all our punishments. That's what he has done. And now God is helping you understand how his sacrifice has affected all those habits you've been struggling with. He says, you were dead in sin. God has raised you up together with Christ made you sit in heavenly places with him. Hallelujah. And then, in verse 8, it now says, for by grace are you saved. Do you understand the context now? Through faith, that of not, not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And he now says, we are his workmanship. He explained how we became his workmanship. 
by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So, the same message we believed for our salvation is the same message for our sanctification. It's the same revelation that because Jesus died and rose again, I have been raised up with him. I'm, I, you see, all those old habits are now in the past. Say amen if you believe. Amen. I'm going to show you another text that says the same thing. This one is even more powerful in my, by my opinion. Look at Romans chapter 6 from verse 1. Oh, glory to God. Listen, if you don't read the Bible, you are missing. Let that be something you take from this camp meeting, a hunger for the word. You have to digest this thing. Read it every day. Hallelujah. Can I make you make that commitment? I'm going to read my Bible every day. Romans chapter 6 from verse 1. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin? <laughs> say, I died to sin. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? I wish I had the time to explain baptism to you. Some people think it is... Hallelujah. It was a story, a salvation story about Jesus and us. As Jesus was immersed into that water, it was a demonstration of his death. As he was brought out, it was a demonstration of his resurrection and your resurrection. And then after he was brought out, what happened? The Bible says, God spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And then the spirit descended like a dove, right? That's the salvation story. <laughs> Jesus died, rose again. We are justified because of that. We received the Holy Spirit. It was a salvation story. It wasn't about the semantics. It wasn't about the ordinances. It was a it was, it was drama to explain what was going to happen. Don't forget, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water, but he that is coming is mightier than I. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So is water baptism the baptism of Christ? He said, he that is coming is mightier than I. I use water just as a demonstration. He will baptize with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And so by the Holy Ghost, we become beneficiaries of his death. We become beneficiaries of his resurrection. He's telling you how. Oh my goodness. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Feel free to listen to this sermon again and again so it can sink in. It says, do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into his death, that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also should do what? Walk in the newness of life. 
So the resurrection had an impact on my sanctification. Because he was raised, I walk in the newness of life. And now this is a very powerful motivation, spiritual motivation for you. That every time you walk in righteousness, you are proving the resurrection of Christ. Because it is the resurrection of Christ that made your walk in sanctification possible. This is one of the powers of walking in the Spirit and walking in righteousness. I demonstrate the resurrection of Christ that made it possible. It's a powerful thing. It says, so that you can walk in the newness of life. Verse 5. This is so powerful. This is so powerful. Oh, I'm so stirred right now. Read verse 5 together. One, two, go. For if we have been united in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, one, two, go. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Do you believe this? He said, he said, the crucifixion of Jesus did something to your past life. That irresistible tendency, propensity for sin, he says the crucifixion of Jesus ended it. Now you have to believe that by faith. I want you to notice something. This is the way God sees it. He says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Wow. A natural observer will look at Golgotha and see just three people. Jesus in the middle. Two thieves by his side. But, but now, Revelation says, you and I were crucified with him. So I'm telling you, there were billions of people. Billions of people sharing the same cross with him. Fingers in his fingers. Toes in his toes. Nails driven through our wrists in the eyes of justice. We all were crucified with him. And he said, the old man, that body of sin was destroyed. He says, because of that, we are no more slaves to sin. You can say no. You can refuse to sin now. Because there's a grace at work in you. It says the old man is crucified with him. It says that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. Receive that testimony. It says that henceforth we should no longer serve sin. This is so powerful. That irresistible tendency is gone. The old man is crucified. Now, there is something E.W. Kenyon of Blessed Memory described as the legal and the vital aspects of salvation. Let me explain this. If you are in a courtroom and then the, you had been detained, but you are in, in trial, and um, the judge declares you discharged and acquitted, you might still be wearing your prison uniform or your detention clothes, whatever, but you are a free man. You might still have the cuffs on your wrists, but you are a free man. So now, they need to uncuff you, and you need to go walk away 
from that courtroom a free man and walk home. So, but the moment the, um, the, the judge just hit that his hammer, bam, you were ready free. So what you needed to do was to act on it. So the same way, there is a legal declaration of your righteousness. And then there is a vital side where you say, okay, he said this so that I can live like it. So Paul says, if you live by the Spirit, let us also what? Walk in the Spirit. So that's legal and vital. So legally, in the eyes of justice, he says your old man is destroyed. You can say no. You can say no to sin now. So what you choose to do about that information matters. There is now a decision, a vital aspect, where you act out that revelation. I'm saying this because someone might have been listening to all I'm saying and is like, ah, well, pastor, um, I'm a believer. I have the Holy Ghost, but sometimes I still struggle with sin. I struggle with habits. Yeah, I'm putting the mirror of God's word in front of you to help you see on paper, legally, this is what Christ has done. Take what is yours and walk accordingly. You can. And that's why, you know, if, if, if I just simply tell you the old man is destroyed, it should be automatic. The same things that used to appeal to you should suddenly stop appealing to you. In fact, you can no longer be tempted. But we know that's not the case. So legally, the old man is destroyed. And so when a temptation arises, we remember. And we walk in a manner that is consistent with our new nature. Do you understand that? Look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9. I have to move quickly because I still have a lot to share with you. I have a lot of good stuff. This is powerful. This is powerful. Colossians chapter 3 verse 9. It says, do not lie. You see this lying thing again? Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man. You know, from a natural standpoint, I've put off the old man without trying. I shouldn't lie. But So why is he still telling you to do something? He says, don't lie because you have put off the old man. He's telling you, agree with God. Agree with God. The Bible says to approve, that you may prove what is that Good and perfect will of God. So you can approve it. The Greek word actually means approve it. That God said it, so it is in my life. Approve it. So he says, since you have put off the old man, act like it. Let me show you something even more interesting. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 22. Ephesians 4 22. Read together, one, two, go. He said that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. So, Paul, sir, have we put off or we should put off? In Colossians 3, 9, you said we have put off. Now you are saying we should put off. Which is what? Which is which? Both. Because you have put off, go ahead and put off. Make a spiritual reality a factual reality. Let me tell you this. You might not have noticed, or maybe you have. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, and God said, let there be, and there was. Let there be. Let there be plants. And then you come to Genesis chapter 2. 
And then it looks like there are some things that God already said that he's now doing. She be in Genesis 1, he said, male and female created he them. So why is it that he said it's not good for man to be alone? Because there was already a spiritual creation that he acted out practically. Are you getting what I'm saying? Okay, for instance, in Genesis chapter 2, it looks like man was... Anyway, let's not get into that. But do you understand? So I'm just trying to help you understand spiritual provisions and practical demonstrations have to align. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So, oh my goodness. One more text and then I will explain this perfectly. You're going to get this. Look at the same Colossians chapter 3. Let's read from verse 1. Colossians chapter 3. Are you learning anything? Colossians chapter 3 from verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ seated on the right hand of God. Set your affections. Oh my goodness. So because you are risen, you can change your appetites. You can set your... Don't say, I don't like praying. Change your appetites. You can. I'm risen with Christ. It starts with a revelation. I'm risen with Christ. This is what I should like. This is what I don't like. I refuse to like this from today. Set your affection. Regulate your desires. Why is it that this type of songs still appeal to me. What are they saying? This is inconsistent with God's word. I ought not to like this. So from today, no more. Hallelujah. So when you receive it by meditation, you be, your conduct to continue to align. That this is who I am. I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. It says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. It says, for you are dead. He's talking about to sin, context. <laughs> Tell the person by the side, you're dead, dead to sin. <laughs> if the person did not act to sin, suspect the person. <laughs> he said, you're dead to sin and your life is hidden, God. Hallelujah. Verse 5, it says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. So he says, based on your position, where you are seated, don't forget what we read in Ephesians 2, because you are seated with him, the old man is destroyed, right? He says, mortified therefore. I like the, the, the metaphor that is used. Listen, and some of you know what I'm saying. In animal life, when an animal dies, sometimes the animal still has symptoms of life. Has it ever happened to you? One of the events that freaked me out in my childhood, we don't really see much of that. Everybody is eating frozen food right now. But it freaked me out in my childhood. We had killed this chicken, put it in a basin, and we, the moment my mom just poured hot water, he jumped up and started running up and down in the kitchen. Have you experienced something like that before? 
how terrified did you feel? You dreamt about it. <laughs> so now, even in real um, um, mortuaries, there is someone called a mortician who has the responsibility to make sure that dead bodies stay dead. Because I'm telling you, those things happen to human <laughs> beings, which is even, even freakier on another level. If chicken freaked you out, imagine <laughs> dead boy just sits up. Um, <laughs> I assure you, you won't forget. So they have some chemicals that they rub on dead bodies so that they stay dead. But do you know, many Christians have that experience. Oh. God says you are dead to sin. The head of the old man is cut off, but you are still seeing activity. I still like the things I shouldn't like. It's just like the headless chicken running up and down the house, running up and down the house, and listen, someone is saying, no, the chicken is alive. No, the chicken is dead. And so because the chicken is dead, lay it to rest. So you catch the chicken and say, you are dead. Put it down. Pour hot water on it. That's what he's asking you to do to the old man. Listen, when you see yourself desiring things that you shouldn't desire, remember, the head of the old man is cut off. You are seeing activities, but that old man is headless. So he says, mortify therefore, mortify. You do that by acknowledging the word of God. You said the body of sin is destroyed. The body of sin, flesh behave, flesh behave in the name of Jesus. The body of sin is destroyed. He says, mortify therefore. So because I have put off the old man, I can put off the old man. So you're saying, Pastor, I'm still struggling. I'm still struggling. I shouldn't desire this. I'm telling you, see, embrace the word of God over your life. He said, the body of sin is destroyed. He talks about all your struggles in past tense. He says, you had he quickened. <coughs> Who were dead in trespasses and sins. You, that's your past. You see it as a current struggle. He talks about it in past tense. He said, wherein in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that walks in children of disobedience. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved you, even when you were dead in sins, has quickened you together. He has made you alive. You are alive to righteousness. Alive to serve the living God. You are his workmanship. Do you know what that means? It means you are his brand. You are his brand. You know the same way there are some products. You know, if you buy some type of phones and it packs up in four months, respectfully, you will understand. That even me, when I was buying it, I knew. The times are numbered. The days are numbered. But there are some brands that have a reputation for enduring. Have a reputation for endurance. And listen, knowing who made something increases your expectation yes, in the performance of that thing. Yes, now, when God says you are his workmanship, Woo! that he created you to do good works, 
and then you think you're going to keep struggling and fail? No, I'm his workmanship. I'm listen, I'm divinely engineered to do good works. Say, I walk in love. I'm joyful. Say, I don't have beef for anyone. Hallelujah. You know, there's a way to religiously still keep passing your message. You want to talk like the world. All your pictures online, haters, hit hashtag, you know, they try to bury us. They didn't know we arise. Yeah, we are Gary, we rise. All those pettiness. Eh? You block people that don't like you. You now open another account to be monitoring them. Are you not? Are you not losing your mind? Give yourself peace of mind. Embrace who God says you are. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. They may have hurt you. Move on. Walk in the victory of Christ. Declare that you are who He says you are. Hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. Just take a few seconds and worship Him right now. Worship Him right now. Worship Him right now. Worship Him and thank Him. Worship Him and thank Him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pray in the spirit right now. Thank him. Hallelujah. Sing this. You have made me a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I am, I am a sanctuary. For you, say, you have made me, oh, a sanctuary, pure, pure and whole, tried and true. With thanksgiving. I am a living. I am a sanctuary for you. Do it one more time. Hey, you have made me yeah. a sanctuary, sanctuary, pure. Justified, tried and true. Legitimacy of his work with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. I am leaving. Sanctuary. 
want yourself in any way, feed your spirit. You can't keep saying, um, I don't know why I don't. Every time you wake up in the morning knowing you ought to pray and you don't pray. You are setting yourself at a disadvantage when temptation comes. Let me tell you something. Our spirit does a lot for us. Let me give you a simple example I discovered. Has it ever happened to you? You finish praying in the room and you just started arranging your room. Has it ever happened to you? Why do you think that happens? There is something about our spirit that aids us in excellence. We know what to do. If we will feed our spirit effortlessly, we will do what we ought to do. Has it, ever, has it also happened to you that some days you were just on the edge, irritable, you, you couldn't tell why, why simple things were just annoying you? Check those days you did not pray. So there is a way when you don't, it's just the same way physically, if you don't eat, you will not find yourself with the proper amount of energy. Feed your spirit, take it seriously. Every time you should have prayed, you should have studied, you went through the day without doing so. You are setting yourself at a, at a disadvantage. So the Bible tells you about weapons, you know, metaphorically. It says the shield of faith, you know, the helmet of salvation. It says having done all stand so that you'll be able to stand in the evil day. Meaning there is a posture that allows you to stand. If you don't have that posture, you're going to fall. You're going to be a tongue-speaking Christian, but you will still have inconsistencies. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says, feed your spirits. Feed your spirits. If you feed your flesh, you will have a weak spirit. So the Bible says to put under your body, present yourself a living sacrifice, so you carry your body and you condition it in the will of God. There is a sense of control that a robust spirit can enforce. Are you getting this? But if you don't do that and, you know, your flesh is flexing muscles, it's going to bully you. Feed your spirit. Tell that gently to the person by your side, say, feed your spirit. Say that about yourself. Say, I will feed my spirit. Turn the Bibles now, Galatians chapter 6, from verse 1, as I show you the next point. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, he's telling you what to do when you discover that a child of God is strained. What did he say you should do? Form a WhatsApp group and talk about it. Post on it on Facebook and say, hmm, don't believe anybody that says they are in the Lord. Always, is that what he said you should do? What did he say you should do? He says, you which are spiritual, restore. Can I tell you something? Many people have underestimated the power of fellowship. If you look at the early church and you look at modern day church, if you want to know one of the reasons why it looks like we're miles apart in terms of impact and efficacy, one of the reasons is fellowship. When they had a structure where they are breaking bread from house to house 
and they, were, they had a lot of fellowship together. Often. Often. It rubs off. Make no mistake. Iron sharpens iron, the Bible says. So that a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. Can I tell you something? In, it, in the realm of the spirits, we learn to do by seeing. So if you are Saul and you find yourself in the company of prophets, you will prophesy. If you want to improve your prayer life, have prayerful friends. If you want to improve your study life, have studious friends. Can I tell you something? It's a principle of life generally. In the realm of the spirit, anything you see repeatedly, you will become. So the moment you see Jesus walking on water, you might be Peter, you are a fisherman. No? You have walked, I mean, you, the, the water is your office. You resume there. But it never occurred to you that you can walk on water. But seeing someone else do it, stirred up a desire in you. It's the principle of inspiration. If you look at your life, you don't have friends in church. You don't attend a good church. You, you don't have friends that pour you in the right direction. You might not be in trouble now, but mark my words, trouble is coming. That's why the Bible says, don't neglect the assembly of yourself together. As the manner of some is, let me show you something very powerful. And this is a mistake that even men of God do. Men of God make. And I don't want to start going into this. Do you know how many people have traveled for missionary work and fail? Because that is when you will, I know you are traveling to save a city for the gospel, but you find yourself in a place where no one knows you, no accountability, you will fall. You go to a village to preach the gospel. There, all the ladies bathe naked outside. If you are not careful, another missionary will have to come for you. These are laws of the spirit. I'm telling you. Let me show you something. Look at Romans chapter 1 verse 11. These are things people hardly talk about. Romans 1 11. It says, this is an apostle talking. He says, for I long to see you that I might impart unto you some spiritual gifts. That, that's why I came, right? On, on Saturday, you're going to see what, I'm, what this is talking about. To the end that you may be established. But he now said something else. There's a caveat here. In verse 12, he says, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. So it is true that I'm your spiritual father, and I am come to impart unto you some spiritual gift. But guess what? In feeding you, I am fed. In blessing you, I am. So even if I am the one preaching, I benefit from our fellowship. Even a pastor must not be in isolation. There's a reason God in his wisdom called it the body of Christ and he prayed that we'll be one. If you are alone, you are out of order. Can I tell you something? You can be with people and still be alone. Have you seen some people who have this coded, mysterious lifestyle? Their ways like this. They're not accountable. Jesus, when you build such a secretive system, you know, no, nobody knows where you went. You went out. When you build a system of zero accountability, trouble is coming. Someone should be able to tell where you went. That's how you benefit from fellowship. Are you getting what I'm saying? 
It was so serious, so strong in the early church that Paul could write to a church and say, say unto Archippus, fulfill the ministry that you have been received of the Lord. So everybody knew who Archippus was. You, you've been coming to this church, you have not greeted anybody, nobody knows your name. So we can't even correct you. So they couldn't, when they read the letter, say unto Archippus, Archippus. <laughs> Paul said, you know, but you, even you, you can't have that experience. And that's something you need to change. Are you getting that? So, association is another important principle. And then the last, I'm not going to dwell on this too long, is you have to meditate. 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 Listen, and never forget what I'm about to say. God is wiser than men. Do you believe that? He looked at the sin problem and there were myriads of ideas he could have had on how to handle the same problem. He could have said, okay, you people form groups, A and A, or what do they call it? And start talking about your problems. Ah, me, my own addiction is, ah, the moment I smell alcohol like this, my brother. <laughs> you know? So, but God did not form groups like that. What was God's response to the sin of man? The cross. Do you know what that means? It means that the cross of Jesus was enough remedy for any habit you have. You have to believe in the wisdom of God. So if you are still struggling, there is something I have not, there's a revelation of the power of that cross that I have not caught. I have to meditate on it. The eyes of my understanding have to be flooded with light so that I can, I can know because listen, I can be in church and still not know. If Jesus, if God in his wisdom looked at the world and said, the cross will be the solution to the sin problem. Don't say you believe in Jesus and you're still having issues. Are you getting what I'm saying? So meditate. Meditate. When you keep meditating, you will come to texts like 1 Corinthians 6. And he says, what? I like the fact that it's an exclamation. Like, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Can I tell you something? <laughs> if you meditate on the fact that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, it will, it will affect your sanctification life. He says, how can you take the temple of the Holy Ghost and join it to a harlot? It's something to meditate on. The temple of the Holy Ghost. So I am not only the temple of the Holy Ghost in church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At home, I'm the, I'm the temple of the Holy Ghost. When nobody knows me, I'm still the temple of the Holy Ghost. He said, how can I take the temple, the house of God? And So it's something to think about. He said, he exclaimed, he said, what? Hallelujah. How can you take the members of God and unite it with the harlots? If you would think deeply about this, it will change your life. So, you know what you're going to do? You take all these texts. Many Christians these days are so lazy. I'm saying this respectfully. And I struggle with laziness once or twice in my life, or a few times. All right? So, it's, it's, all, it's the phone person generation. Right? Someone say, I, I've tried it. You know, mm -mm, you sit with it. You don't know how to walk. Temptation took you a journey. 
It takes people a, a while to come to a certain point of depravity. So you don't think that you listen to this once and then it's going to be okay. You, take it, you listen to it again and again. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. My body. It says, therefore glorify God with your body, which is the Lord's. He said, you were bought with a price. Those are things that you should meditate on. Are you getting this now? So what are the three points I gave you? Number one. I didn't hear you. Feed your spirit. Feed your spirit. Number two. Association. Association. Number three. Meditation. Hallelujah. So we're going to do something for, the, for just a few minutes. You're going to stand up, take your Bible in your hands. And those texts I read to you. Ephesians chapter 2. Romans chapter 6. The first five verses of both of them. You're going to read them out to yourself. Put your name. Pray on it. Meditate on it. Are you ready to do that? Stand to your feet right now. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Is your Bible open? Come on, begin to declare the word of God right now. Mention your name and say, Emmanuel, you have he quickened. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Oh, once I was dead in sin, now I am dead to sin. Oh, when time passed, I walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that walks in children of disobedience. But God, rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved me, even when I was dead in sin, has quickened me together with Christ. I see my place in his work. What he did, he said, I did. He died and rose and so did I. I am who he says I am. Oh, I see him seated. My death is paid. Oh, I've stepped into the Sabbath of my life. I've stepped into rest in my life. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm a new crea creation. I'm a brand new man. Empowered to live for the Lord. I'm his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He says, now therefore you are debtors not to the flesh. To live after the flesh. He says, you through the spirit can mortify the deeds of the flesh. In the name of Jesus, I mortify. I want you to make that declaration. I mortify sinful propensities and tendencies. I mortify. I put off the old man. 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 Kasamanda rabaka sotere menoko shete. I put off the old man. He said, "Let he that stole steal no more." Say from today, no more stealing. From today, I refuse to walk according to the laws of the flesh. It says friendship with the world is enmity against God. I refuse to be the enemy of God. I walk in a manner consistent with my testimony. He has made me a child of light. I walk as a child of light. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.
In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Father, we thank you. This is our testimony. It says we were crucified with you. The body of sin is destroyed. Oh, we walk on in the newness of life, glorifying you with our mortal bodies. Thank you, Father. Glory to your name. Oh, in this wicked and perverse generation, we shine as lights. We walk as children of lights. And our works of righteousness are evidence to the world. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth, demonstrate, live out the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, the light in my life is marvelous. I've stepped into marvelous light. There is no darkness in my life. I've put away dark walks, walks of darkness. I exposed walks of darkness. I am the light of the Lord. I'm light in the Lord. Thank you, Father. Glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.